Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Ruben Neuenheis. Today, I am speaking with Hirt Loving about his book, Stuck on the Platform, Reclaiming the Internet. We're all trapped. No matter how hard you try to delete apps from your phone, the power of seduction claws you back. Doom scrolling is the new normal of a 24-7 online life. What happens when your home office starts to feel like a call center and you're too fried to log out of Facebook? We're addicted to large-scale platforms, unable to return to the frivolous age of decentralized networks. How do we make sense of the rising disaffection with the platform condition? Zoom fatigue, cancel culture, crypto art, NFTs, and psychic regression comprise core elements of a general theory of platform culture. Loving argues that we reclaim the internet on our own terms. Stuck on the Platform is a relapse-resistant story about the rise of platform alternatives, built on a deep understanding of the digital slump. Geert Lovink is a Dutch media theorist, internet critic, and author of Uncanny Networks, Dark Fiber, My First Recession, Zero Comments, Networks Without a Cause, Social Media Abyss, Organization After Social Media, and Sad by Design. In 2004, he founded the Institute of Network Cultures at the Amsterdam University of Applied Sciences. In December 2021, he was appointed Professor of Art and Network Cultures at the Art History Department, Faculty of Humanities, University of Amsterdam. Geert, welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, pleased to meet you. Yeah, well, to jump right in, can you briefly introduce yourself and talk about what are your interests, whether academic or activist? Yeah, my name is Geert Loving. I'm uh, based in uh, in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and um, I am a um, internet critic, a media theorist, activist, and um, I'm leading here a small research center at the. University of Applied Science, the Hochschool von Amsterdam, called the Institute of Network Cultures, uh, known on the web as networkcultures.org. And this is a small research unit. We are three or four people. Uh, but we've been going on for some time. Um, and that's maybe is a special thing because um, I moved back um, to the Netherlands here from Australia in 2004 after I had done my PhD in Melbourne and worked in uh, Brisbane. And uh, I got this one-off opportunity to uh, have my own research uh, center. And um, yeah, I've been running it uh, since uh, since then. And uh, of course, the internet has changed uh, tremendously. over time, right? Um, I've been into this topic for the last uh, 30 years. 
So um, in the 90s, I was uh, primarily uh, unemployed, uh, freelancer, uh, a cultural uh, worker uh, in the field of, um, you know, the arts and culture, NGOs, etc. Before um, I decided to uh, to do my PhD at the age of 42, a little bit late, but um, okay. Uh, in the 90s, there wasn't, uh, you know, anything uh, possible in our field. The field simply didn't exist. So, um, yeah, I um, I quickly caught up and... Um, this is an applied science uh, center, so um, it, it is very much in line uh, with um, my ideas uh, to combine, let's say, a radical critique of the technologies with the development of um, alternatives and the support of um, uh, networks that work on these uh, critiques and alternatives in different, quite uh, you know, specific uh, fields. So uh, I've never done anything in general. I've always focused uh, very much on very specific uh, interventions. Let's say, focus on search engines, on social media critique, on crypto and blockchain, on. Um, ICT for development or, um, you know, the development of uh, the aesthetics and politics of online video and so on and so on, right? So um, we've been trying to develop this internet criticism as an, uh, let's say, an, as an embodied uh, uh, critique and practice that is able to uh, really um, deliver online interventions. Great, yeah. Well, for this book, what made you want to write it and who do you say your audience are? Yeah, this uh, book stuck on the platform, which uh, came out um, in um, mid-2022, uh, um, is um, a book that looks into this very strange uh, period, which um, starts in, in late 19. And then, of course... Uh, you know, um, runs into COVID. Um, uh, it's also the time, uh, you know, after Brexit and um, the late uh, Trump uh, uh, period. It's uh, also a period just before, you know, um, the the troubles we are in uh, right now uh, with uh, the war in Ukraine and, um, uh, yeah, energy crisis, high inflation and so on. So in my work, it's usually quite important to understand that Internet culture uh, is uh, an integral part of, um, let's say, the the era we are in and so the the, the internet develops very fast <clears throat> is part of society now it's an integral part of society and so um it is possible to make certain periodizations right so this book stuck on the platform um, really focuses on um, a period in which, um, you know, there's no, let's say, naive idea anymore about globalization and that the technology will bring any good. Um, and there, there's a growing awareness, uh, you know, that uh, things have to change, but they can't. <laughs> so... Mm -hmm. 
And uh, this is also the case uh, for the internet itself. So the internet, once uh, celebrated as an enabler of change, is now part of the problem. Mm? And uh, in my book, I I try to map this uh, this you know this transition period of the last uh, three years. Now I have to say that this is you know, volume number seven in my ongoing studies, right? The first one came out in 2001. And so, yeah, this is number seven. And this number seven is quite related and builds on the work I've done in the previous chronicle, because I call them chronicles of critical internet studies. The The previous one, is one that I'm very proud of, and, and that's Sad by Design. And uh, the Sad by Design uh, kind of introduces this, this um, element of um, regression, of stagnation, of, um, of course, also uh, a period uh, of, of Trump and Brexit and so on, which um, you know, has had a, a major impact on, uh, on the mental states of uh, particularly young people. And I've been trying to uh, map this, uh, to understand this, what it means uh, if you are, um, you know, one with your um, body and your phone are, uh, you know, becoming uh, one and uh, you can't really escape these uh, social media platforms anymore. Yeah, right. Well, and I'm sure most everyone listening to this podcast will have their own experiences of frustrations with the platforms they use. Um, what would you say are some of your biggest concerns about platforms as they exist today? Well, it's just, uh, of course, uh, an unprecedented form of hypergrowth that creates um, um, monopolies that uh, nobody asked for, nobody can uh, control. They're not uh, eligible. They're run by extremely arrogant uh, usually white male uh, engineers that truly believe that uh, you know that they are on the good side of things uh, while they are running vast vast um, machines of extraction and surveillance and are absolutely on the evil side of things so so there here we already see an enormous cognitive uh, disconnect between people who believe that they do good, uh, while objectively speaking, it's very, very clear, you know, that they are extremely evil. Uh? So, um, yeah. So the, here, here we have the the dichotomy, the dialectics of uh, of the platform uh, already, right? The platform that presents itself as a neutral enabler. Look, you know, we, we only want to bring you together. We want you to uh, uh, trade and share. And yeah, we only, uh, we, and, and then um, look at, uh, you know, the results uh, of their manipulative uh, software, the use of uh, algorithms and AI that can, that, you know, borders to uh, war crimes in my, in my, in my view. So uh, you know these people uh, will one day be in 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 war in the war uh, crime uh, courts because of their heavy heavy involvement, and of course you know we got a sense of that, uh, for instance with Cambridge Analytica and uh, their support of Trump, right? Um, but this is happening, of course, worldwide, uh, you know, on a, on a worldwide scale. Mm. 
And um, yeah, this kind of organized innocence that that produces um, mass mass forms of um, of what I call evil, you know, t- technological evil, uh, <laughs> is um, yeah, is something of uh, of our time, and it's very very difficult for um, people to un- uh, understand uh, wh- why this is all happening, why we got in this situation. And and then this is uh, causing all these affects, right? Affects of literally of billions of people that get angry, frustrated, uh, that get you know, don't know. Um, yeah, they're locked in. They can't um, uh, leave the platform anymore, right? Uh, I'm not somebody who is accusing users, you know, of uh, their uh, dependency. This is the last thing we need to do. It is not the user, uh, you know, that is uh, to blame. And we should not call for users, you know, to leave the platform. This is a, this has been <laughs> proving uh, a wrong, uh, you know, uh, activist strategy. Of course, I've tried this for 10 years uh, with m- many, many others. We, our strategy didn't go anywhere, right? And so this is also, we need to, uh, we need to take that into a, a account. The critique of, of platforms uh, should not be focused on on the users. Yeah, right. And I, I think that um, that comes across very clearly in your book. Um, at one point, I, I really like how you put it. You say, um, many do not use the internet. The internet uses them. Yeah, yeah also because uh, the, <clears throat> people are no longer um, aware uh, of its, uh, <clears throat> you know, of its presence and its um, manipulative. Um, of course, it's very hard, you know. Um, why would uh, ordinary people that are very busy running their daily lives, often in, uh, you know, authoritarian, neoliberal settings where they are very, very busy, um, you know, to... Uh, yeah, to keep afloat, to uh, stay stay alive, to uh, run, uh, you know, a business, do a job, um, have a family. And why would these people, you know, um, have a sophisticated understanding of uh, how these black box technologies um, work and impact them? They cannot. And we should not blame them and and think that they are uh, you know the source of the the problem because they are uh, naive not well informed um, uh, ignorant no this is really really not the case uh, the the technology is very sophisticated and <clears throat> has entered uh, their uh, daily lives on a subliminal level and this is one of the problems so we need to politicize you know, a, a subliminal uh, level, which is very hard. How do you do that, right? Because these are all, um, you know, automated uh, uh, behaviors, uh, rapid, repetitive um, uh, movements, hmm? swiping, updating, uh, checking, right? <clears throat> this, is, this is now an, an integral part of the lives um, of um, notably five billion people on this planet, right? Five billion, and and that number is uh, is staggering, and and it's very very difficult even for us, you know, for internet uh, research to to get a, a sheer uh, you know understanding of the of the of the size uh, we're dealing with here. Yeah. 
Right. I think a lot of people who would be interested in you in this book would probably also be familiar with Netflix's popular documentary, The Social Dilemma. Um, as such, perhaps comparing the two will provide some helpful context to listeners for what you're arguing in your book. Yeah, I'm a bit more uh, uh, funny. I'm a bit more ironical. <laughs> Maybe people would say I'm a bit more European. I'm not a you know politically correct uh, Californian uh, tech worker that uh, tries to uh, uh, talk him or herself out of this uh, situation, right? No, uh, <clears throat> of course. Uh, so that that um, idea, uh, uh, you know, it's an it's a small book, by the way, that I wrote uh, around the same time. It's very small, together with my friend. Uh, the designer Mieke Gerritse. And that small book, it's it's basically only one essay. It's called Made in China. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, uh, designed in California, made in China, criticized in Europe. Um, yeah, and that sums it, sums it up, uh, you know, pretty much. Um, mm -hmm. I understand that, uh, you know, Europeans, <clears throat> especially in this uh, kind of uh, post-colonial period, you know, uh, why bother with Europe? I mean, uh, th there's no reason uh, for that, right? So we we need to first of all understand uh, that uh, Europe is really, really not uh, a player uh, in in all this, right? The big players are anyway, and we know that are the U.S. and China, uh, and of course there are some other, um, you know, uh, especially on the manufacturing side, some very interesting smaller players like Korea, uh, Taiwan. It used to be Japan, but um, yeah. So, so we need to look at this from a from a global perspective, and uh, yeah, museum Europe. You know what what can we offer here? Not not much, right? So um, we are basically 550 million uh, consumers. And, you know, from a consumer perspective, you could say, okay, well, you know, we have some something to say. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, as we know, uh, you know, users are not really, really uh, the driver here. So, um, so that there we already see, uh, you know, a fundamental problem here that the users are not uh, a force in all this, right? Uh, I believe that especially more and more, uh, the further we progress into the 21st century, the more this is becoming a very, very harsh uh, geopolitical and even a military uh, conflict that we are talking about here. And the, and the, and the fight over, over the technology and the fight with Technology, you know, is an integral part of that. We're not talking about, uh, you know, what users like or do not like, and yeah, that's the tragic fate of uh, of Europe, and 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 that's a important um, starting point. Um, so, uh, you know, Europe has no uh, moral uh, stand uh, to take in in all this. Um, at best, we are uh, bystanders. Mm. One of the things that struck me when reading the book is that you pose a lot of questions all throughout it. Um, what would you say are some of the main questions you would want your readers to engage with? Yeah, how to gain awareness of, uh, of technology while understanding <clears throat> that on a collective level, uh, we still uh, face um, you know, the, um, mass uh, dependencies. 
So um, I start the book uh, with a chapter, of course, on uh, on Corona and the phenomena of uh, Zoom fatigue. Uh, the irony uh, of our conversation, Ruben, uh, of course, is that we are at the moment using Zoom mm-hmm. uh, to yeah. record this. Uh, so um, hopefully uh, you are not yet uh, <laughs> uh, tired, uh, but uh, okay. Uh, we all know uh, what Zoom fatigue uh, is, right? It, it, these technologies require an enormous uh, mobilization of all our senses to be really, really present, right? It, it, the, the Zoom uh, software requires of, of users to be some kind of super Buddhists or something like that, right? An ongoing hyper uh, attention and awareness of others that are, um, you know, looking. So we, we, we're f- visually uh, engaged. We have to listen. Uh, and we're sometimes even asked uh, to to respond, right? Um, of course, very often um, that's no longer possible, and this is where the f- f- fatigue sets in, and that's what I'm uh, describing. What happens when uh, you know you you have to do this on a daily basis? Think of uh, online education during the Corona period. Uh, where especially young people were required, you know, to sit eight hours in classrooms, um, uh, listening to teachers and so on. Right now, and uh, in, in the essay, I describe, uh, for instance, you know how what happens when you switch off your camera, when you um, when you kind of um, when you introduce new forms of disengagement to survive. Um, and this is where basically what uh, uh, what my book is uh, is describing is to look at technology and uh, our technological culture from uh, yeah maybe why not uh, a Nietzschean perspective you know beyond good and evil huh? uh, without yeah being uh, highly critical yes of uh, of the platforms and the big corporations but also looking at our own um, uh, silly uh, shortcomings and our all all to human uh, behaviors for instance also in the chapter that i write about cancel culture you know cancel culture which you know may or may not uh, have uh, good intentions but um, uh, i try to uh, analyze here that that that, that cancel culture as we have known it over the past um, uh, couple of years has become um, completely integrated in uh, the blues of the social media platforms so you know there is no cancel culture outside of social media right and so, so if we want to look at uh, cancel culture in just from okay i wa- i do n- no longer agree with your you, you know um macho or uh you know the disgusting behavior mm? uh yeah uh, and i will uh, make that known uh, your, your um misogynist behavior online right and there we go hey yeah, so we already move then at that point, we take something that uh, we want to change between ourselves in society, we and we immediately take that to the social media platforms. Yeah? And but then another, uh, you know, element starts to come into play. 
because then the cancel culture with all its good intentions starts to interfere uh, with all the troubles that caused by uh, the algorithms uh, and uh, you know corporate uh, uh, policies uh, of uh, Google, um, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, TikTok, you name it, right? So yeah, so and, and this is a simple observation, okay? I, I'm I'm making, but I think it's it's important for for the to take the cancel culture, you know, f- further uh, to raise the awareness uh, of of the disturbing filtering uh, element of the social media. Yeah. You also have a a chapter that's dedicated to looking at blockchains, cryptocurrency, and non-fungible tokens. Where would you say, where does your critique of blockchains, crypto, and NFTs fit into your overall critique of platforms? Well, it's it's a subculture. First of all, <clears throat> it's quite hidden. Uh, not many, not many people know about it, uh, and that's kind of its appeal. Um, especially young people in the last uh, two or three years, um, you know, have massively signed up um, f- to these services without really understanding or knowing the the, the ideological backgrounds um, of the of the software, the tokens, the blockchains, uh, the cryptocurrencies um, uh, that uh, they then started to play with. By and large, this is a very right wing uh, kind of techno libertarian culture that uh, you know has its origins in the, in the in the nineties, late nineties, in uh, you know amongst uh, the the crypto hackers um, that kind of in at, at the at the time celebrated in a naive form of uh, of anti statism, you know, uh, even um, called some kind of uh, you know techno. Anarchism, of course, you know, uh, the, the the people who started this, um, uh, the, they didn't all necessarily um, had uh, openly, let's say, right-wing populist uh, sympathies, right? But um, because of this kind of anti-state attitude, you know, uh, yeah, we ended up in a culture that is uh, pretty much, uh, you know, um, anarcho-capitalist, hmm? Uh, in in its most wild forms, and there you can see that um, you know it starts to come very close to right wing, uh, you know, populists, uh, and that doesn't necessarily have to be Trump. It can be anything else, right? It can be Ron Paul. It can. It, there's a whole specter uh, of people who sympathize with the crypto uh, ideology, and. Uh, so, um, yeah, I want uh, young, especially young people to be more aware of this um, background and, and what it and, and the implications of of that ideology, which, you know, because these these premises are then baked into code <laughs> and then are performed. Right. But then, you know, they start to be automated they start to be implemented and even more dangerous they start to slip in the background because uh, of the general tendency of these softwares code that turn into platforms to become very smooth 
kind of subliminal things, right? Before you do a trade, you go to Ethereum, you have to do, oh, you have to do this, you have to get, oh, okay, uh, you know, put something in a wallet. What is a wallet? You know, who's who, where is this wallet? Well, who, who's the owner of this, right? All these questions cannot um, uh, be answered uh, anymore, right? Because the whole procedure uh, has this tendency to get automated and once a procedure is automated it becomes very difficult especially for new uh new users uh to be questioned mm. so that's my message yeah one of the concepts you also engage with is stacktivism what is your what's your take on stacktivism and what does it call for uh well <laughs> You know, uh, having a son that is uh, that is uh, was very much intrigued by by Zizek and Zizek's uh, love for Hegel, um, yeah, it is a kind of um, a, a kind of a surprising turn that we see um, in uh, especially in youth culture, and that is um, there's there's an an open love affair. Uh, in uh, online network cultures um, for the Hegelian concepts such as totality. Hmm? And I will, in the last years, I really asked myself, where is this coming from? You know, because not only, you know, in my generation, it, Hegel was seen as a very, very dusty and irrelevant um, uh, philosopher, not just because, uh, you know, he was... Um, uh, difficult to read or something like that but <clears throat> many many of us believed that uh, you know the hegelian um, tendency to build these uh, overarching um, uh, meta structures that uh, you know involve a history as such and so on and so on right all these uh, metaphysical uh, categories that this was something of the past hmm? however um you know with uh, the rise of technology and the the, the in incredible uh, rollout of these um, technologies worldwide and this uh, super fast uh, hyper growth we see uh, that uh, the the totality starts to mean something something else for young people hmm? uh, because they experience this technological totality in their daily lives and they see it they see it and they see that it's operational hmm? now benjamin breton wrote that book it's called the stack and yes i i have added some you know european uh, levels to that way of thinking namely that the technology you know consists of uh, of layers and that we start to have to start to think more along uh, or uh, ver vertical lines. I myself, I am a horizontalist. I come from the horizontal tradition that's very well known. And all people, you know, who have uh, a kind of a background in the social movements, in, in networks, um, of course, you know, would uh, argue for for um, a rhizomatic uh, horizontal approach, right? However, of course, in the last uh, 10, 20 years, um, the technology uh, can no longer be explained through uh, this uh, horizontal uh, mode or through this horizontal point of view, even though 
you know, the decentralized approach is still good and, and we love it. And it's a, yeah, it's a warm idea. We, we embrace it. However, it doesn't explain anything anymore, right? Except that it's a, a good intention. Mm-hmm. And th- this is the, the, the problem. And that's why, um, you know, I have introduced this idea of the stacktivism in which we understand that our activism needs to address in different levels and even um, uh, address the higher levels. If we want to do real important stuff and stuff that has an impact, we need to understand that our politics needs to compete with the abstractions. (laughs) We need to understand that our politics uh, has to operate on the level of standards, protocols, yeah? codes and so on and so on that now you can say okay that that's that's not for the many but it in, impacts the multitude it impacts um, you know eventually billions of people right because um the the stat the i don't need to explain here why you know standards and protocols have an enormous impact on uh, the everyday life of uh, of people right this is this is this is uh, easy to understand however it is not so easy to understand how we can get there <laughs> and the, the stacktivism is an approach you know uh, to to point us uh, at the possibility of acting on uh, levels that uh, that we do not know or are not so familiar with where do platform alternatives fit, such as Signal, Telegram, Mastodon, in your thinking? Yeah, for this, I need to go back to um, the work that um, the French philosopher uh, Bernard Stigler uh, has been um, doing about uh, a decade ago. Um, and uh, this coincided with uh, our concerns uh, that uh, happened exactly around the same time. We're talking here about the the year 2011, um, which was a very turbulent year uh, with um, the Arab uh, uprisings, uh, um, uh, Occupy, and... um, it was a, a year, uh, you know, when the economic recession was uh, unfolding uh, worldwide, um, that um, we started to become aware of uh, the whole platform uh, dynamics and um, that we had to, um, you know, start uh, alternatives. Now, of course, alternative software has been around for, you know, as as long as there's software, right? And, uh, of course, uh, you know, it had uh, different names and uh, different uh, technologies. It used to be quite uh, focused on, uh, of course, open source and free software on Linux, etc., right? Uh, so, uh, in, in the past... It was very much like uh, an alternative um, software, browser, operating system, right? Um, And uh, also infrastructure on the server side. Now, um, around a decade ago, um, when we started to uh, understand the dynamics of this, uh, this unprecedented form of concentration of uh, of power 
and uh, profits and um, uh, infrastructure by uh, you know the likes of uh, Google, Amazon, etc. Um, we started to uh, understand that uh, the alternatives, um, you know, would would probably be quite different, different from the way uh, we thought about them uh, before. Uh, and different from you know the the things that we developed uh, in the past, uh, where uh, we thought, okay, if you have alternative communities and if you uh, develop um, you know uh, an alternative internet culture, that would be uh, sufficient, right? Um, so uh, we developed um, ideas, um, you know, Benar with his team um, in in Paris at Erie, and uh, you know some uh, really now famous people were part of that. Uh, I want to mention here in particular Yuk Hui, um, and but also uh, Harry Halpin. Uh, and uh, others um, and uh, you know we had different uh, ideas here in Europe how to um, how to approach this uh, should we really go on a very very high abstract level what I discussed before uh, you know under the rubric of uh, stacktivism or should we look at it more uh, on the basic uh, side namely developing very concretely, uh, you know, apps themselves uh, that uh, could, could be uh, could be used, um, and um, we had a uh, also um, a project, a community for that. It was called Unlike Us, uh, you know, a, a critique of uh, social media and its uh, alternatives, and we we held a, a couple of meetings in that period around 2011, 12, 13, and. <clears throat> We saw that uh, the development of these alternative apps was going to uh, be, uh, you know, of utmost importance. However, to develop these uh, these apps, uh, it turned out to be uh, very very difficult because, uh, and, and this problem we encountered, of course, already before. Uh, with the whole, um, you know, usability of uh, free software, huh? you know, which which had was packed with good I ideas, but had disastrous graphic user interfaces that nobody understood, and even the insiders, you know, were, were unable to use. So even you know the 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 technologists themselves were not able to use their own um, apps. Yeah, they, they, it constantly broke down uh, they had to constantly fix it uh, you know this was not a technology for ordinary users now um with these alternative apps we more or less in that uh, period uh, we run in the same and in, into the same problems uh, there uh, and um uh, so it it took a, a really really long time and it, yeah, it's only in the last maybe two or three years that we see that some uh, some uh, you know uh, alternatives start to become more uh, successful, right? And so w there's this in incredible irony that the technology uh, develops very fast, but uh, you know for alternatives uh, to develop it takes a decade. Right, but how how is that possible? Right, if you want to uh, 
you know, because we are, you know, dealing here with uh, things that develop, you know, literally with the speed of light, right? The speed of light, you know, is our basic building material that we're talking about, right? Unprecedented forms of uh, of speed and scale. Huh? And uh, the, the funny thing is that the alternatives, you know, huh? Uh, are very, very slow. Huh? Uh, and we haven't really been able to tackle this. So so there are a lot of good intentions and some really, really interesting uh, other models. But uh, to roll them out, we haven't really uh, figured that out. At, um, until very, very recent, let's say. Okay, and then we can so say, okay, what has happened uh, in, in the last um, two years, basically, since uh, Corona? Huh? And there, you, you mentioned a few a few of them uh, that are, um, you know, becoming more successful. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people are looking at, um, you know, the, uh, the encryption of... Uh, a message uh, app like uh, like Signal. Uh, I would also like to mention here uh, DuckDuckGo as a um, you know alternative to uh, the Google uh, search engine. And uh, you know on every level we see that um, that there that there is uh, progress made. But the, again, as I said, the progress is slow. Right. So overall, what type of change would you like to see? Why is platform regulation not enough? And like, I don't know if you want to talk about your six-step, five-year roadmap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first of all, you know, there are ac accelerationists, but uh, there's also... Uh, you know what we discussed uh, in the circles of uh, of Ben Astigler. Uh, there's also collapsology, mm? and uh, collapsology is is interesting in that sense that uh, you know there's acceleration, yes, uh, but there's also collapse. Mm? And um, what we see uh, at the moment is that uh, the the two of them. Uh, they're creating an incredible amount of uh, of of issues, and that the, on a planetary scale, uh, you know, we are now dealing what we call you know with a stack of crises. Hmm? And uh, yeah, depending a little bit on where you are, you know, it, it maybe the the configuration of the stack of crises is is a little bit different. But uh, okay, let's mention a few uh, of the elements here. Of course, climate change, uh, flooding, droughts, etc. Right, affects uh, already billions uh, of people. Uh, growing, uh, you know, social inequality uh, and uh, mass um, uh, poverty. On a on a on an unprecedented scale, not just uh, in the global south, but um, also, uh, you know, look at uh, the United States. Uh, I don't want to comment on this, uh, but it's uh, it's very very visible. Um, there are, uh, you know, there's environmental and natural deg degradation. There's, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, there's in, in specific, uh, you know, cities. There's a, there's a crisis of uh, housing and living. Uh, there's a, a breakdown of infrastructure and so on. Right. So th this is the the stack of crises, mm? and the technology. Uh, and the platform uh, stagnation is is only one of them. 
And I would like to say that the the internet and the the, the question of um, its architecture is a really minor one. So we need to be humble here, right? It, the 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 issues that I am addressing here are really minor in comparison to uh, the, the the really big challenges, you know, that are uh, out there. So we, we need to understand uh, the technology, even though, you know, it's it's a really, really integral part of the everyday lives or lives of billions. It, it is not the, their, uh, their prime concern anymore. Right. And so we need to uh, develop this kind of new kind of humble politics because otherwise um, people, you know, we're not uh, proponents of techno solutionism. We do not believe that uh, you know technology is the solution to all these problems, right? So we need to address the ideology uh, of uh, techno solutionism uh, as uh, you know it was uh, once developed by Yuzin uh, um, Morozov. Um, uh, you know, and we need to understand that um, before we start to make some kind of grand uh, gestures hmm, uh, about uh, the the role that uh, alternative uh, platforms or alternatives to the platform economy uh, can play. Yeah. Well, and I guess, yeah, that's a really helpful way to contextualize it. Um, but then within that context, like what within um, platforms would you like to, to see change? Um, yeah, I guess. Well, first of all, I I would like you know really to um, further radicalize the 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 geopolitical approach. I think there is no way hmm? we need to further attack any uh, idea of globalism and uh, the idea that the technology somehow is global, is neutral, and facilitates us all. Right? No. The, so this needs to be tackled first, right? If we're speaking to Facebook, Google, etc., these are American companies that that push, you know, their own geopolitical uh, approach, and they have no, they cannot make any global uh, claim whatsoever, right? That and that is maybe very different from five, ten, or fifteen years ago, right? when uh, they had the arrogance to do that and a lot of people uh, bought into that, right? But this is really no longer uh, the case, right? Uh, China is a major player. Uh, nobody really knows anything about the fate of uh, of Russia and what uh, what's going to happen, uh, you know, in the in in the, in the coming uh, weeks, months, or years, uh, with that, uh, you know, very uh, important uh, global uh, global player. There are other parts of 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 the world that further develop, and I'm I'm particularly focused here on 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 Africa and parts of Latin America that will inev inevitably go in different directions, very interesting different directions, right? And we need to take that into uh, account when 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 we're talking about uh, the, the technology. So any uh, idea of kind of planetary computation, as, as Benjamin Breton calls this, is a lie. Right. This is this is uh, this is an ideological construct coming from the U.S. 
uh, and there is no such thing um, as the planetary, right? Uh, so we will see in the coming years uh, that that we, if we want to really think about uh, alternatives, we cannot just skip uh, these regressive tendencies of geopolitics and say, oh, well, you know, once once in a few years they will be over and then and then the 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 glad the, the, the world will come together and we will all uh, start to address uh, you know the, the real uh, planetary um concerns. That I find extremely naive. So so we need in the de- development of alternatives and now I want to spoke speak more uh, specifically also, uh, you know, about European alternatives. That uh, we need to be very aware of that. When we're talking about uh, European alternatives, for instance, uh, it is quite likely that um, you know we will see um, uh, the rise of uh, some form of internet as a public infrastructure. Hmm? However, uh, this can only be discussed you know in very specific um constellations of what you know you, we could call a new version of class compromise or welfare state arrangements you know uh, because the internet as a as a, a public infrastructure will will need to be grounded in new forms of of politics you know, it, it it is it cannot be some kind of idealistic uh, construct, because a public infrastructure is very material. And when we're talking about internet as a public infrastructure, we need to take, for instance, into account that we need to address, uh, you know, a distributed form uh, alternative or follow-up of the data center, for instance. You know, and what is it? Yeah. Let, let, let's address that. And, and I, I'm very interested in, in, yeah. in having, uh, you know, productive clashes here with, um, let's say, accelerationists or people that believe in blockchain socialism or whatever, right? So the, 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 then, then we're talking. The, and, and, and these are the interesting uh, conversations uh, we are having. For instance... You know, in our idea of the public infrastructure, is there a place for centralized uh, uh, constructs like a data center? Yes or no? Hmm? And this is by and large uh, still unresolved. And I think we we, we, we are having these these kind of discussions, uh, you know, ahead of us in the coming years. Right. Yeah. Well, the subtitle of your book is Reclaiming the Internet. Um, I'm just wondering, like, to an individual, whether a reader of your book or listener to this podcast, what would you say are some things that um, individuals can do to help in the collective project of reclaiming the Internet? Well, um, first of all, you know, let's let's just leave the, the question of the exodus of the social media platforms aside for a while, because uh, some people 
you know, will find it very easy hmm, to uh, leave Facebook, for instance, especially young people. <laughs> they don't have any issue with that. But then again, when you ask them, you know, to leave uh, Instagram, they already look like, mm, no, uh, not really. And if you're talking to teenagers, they don't even know why, why, what the hell would be the purpose of them leaving TikTok, right? So, <clears throat> so that that is probably not a very good um, approach. However, uh, what we can do is, uh, in in certain uh, you know uh, contexts, we, we can start to use other software. And that is very uh, likely, and in in that way, we leave aside this this difficult question of platform dependency of the billions, right? Because that's uh, quite difficult to to tackle. But we build up parallel alternatives, right? And we and this is what we start to see uh, happening. Hmm? Uh, we start to see happening in uh, a tremendous uptake of um, you know things like um, uh, signal telegram uh, and all all sorts of uh, uh, neighboring uh, uh, similar alternatives depending on uh, on um, on the context uh, you're 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 talking about and and maybe also the region right because uh, sometimes uh, software use and app use as we know it uh, it's highly depending on you know which country you are what kind of professional or political context you're you operate in so uh, so th- there's very it's very very difficult that um that's why i'm reluctant here uh, to make uh, you know uh, global uh, claims for this, right? What we will see is the development of uh, a lot of regional and uh, local alternatives. Right. Well, a final question we like to ask is, uh, what is next for you? Do you have any new books planned? Any other upcoming work? Yes, there is um, (laughs) a demand uh, that uh, I, I was confronted with um for me to um, in fact go back and uh, to uh, not just address uh, the uh, contemporary and talk about uh, you know alternative um, strategies and tactics but um, yes I am uh, working on uh, a book on uh, the history of uh, the 90s. Um, and uh, I haven't, uh, uh, you know, written something like that. I did deal uh, in the past with uh, my own uh, version of the 80s, which is a history of the Amsterdam squatter uh, movement. It's called in English, uh, squatting uh, the movement, uh, cracking the movement, sorry. Uh, and at the time it was written by uh, our um, collective uh, called Adilmo. So that book uh, appeared in in Dutch in uh, in 1990 and looked back at at that decade. I've done something similar early 2000s to kind of collect things from the 90s. And my first uh, book in in English, the known book uh, called Dark Fiber, it came out in 2001 kind of brought together some of the um, some of those stories and uh, elements uh, 
if you like, uh, lessons of uh, of this age, uh, you know, which which was very uh, exciting, uh, but ended, you know, in a in a bitter note with, uh, you know, of course, the dot com crash and then nine uh, eleven. So uh, yeah, that that first um, period, retrospectively, called Web one point zero. Uh, is an era, you know, that, uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I really, uh, like, and now I'm, I'm, uh, more systematically bringing together, um, also the stories and it, it is written, uh, as a memoir. So, um, I, I don't want to make, uh, general claims. Of course, it's not just European. It's a bit more than that, uh, or, you know more than uh, let's say um, specific uh, movements and festivals and uh, uh, you know artistic uh, spaces and servers uh, in Amsterdam and Berlin. But uh, yeah, uh, this is uh, the area that I'm um, uh, focused on, and. Uh, uh, there's also a special emphasis there on, uh, of course, on Eastern Europe, because I used to live there uh, right after the fall of the Berlin Wall. So, um, yeah, and of course, this is also the time of uh, the, uh, the bitter um, you know, war in former Yugoslavia and uh, all our attempts, um, much um, like today, uh, to organize support campaigns for um, for activists and artists over there, much in the same way as we do that now um, for uh, Ukrainians. Great. Well, I think we've taken up enough of your time. Thank you so much for coming on the show.